0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: It's the True Faith Podcast. Alex Hurst here with special guest Steve Wraith to talk to you about What's going on in Newcastle United, which is either not a lot or a tremendous amount, depending on what way you look at it. And also, this is a podcast where me and Steve, both board members of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, field some questions we've taken on social media to try and clear things up for people listening. And if there's anyone listening who is not yet signed up to the trust, then we'd love to have you on board and we'll talk about why as we get into it. So, Steve, thanks so much for your time. Thanks. Rafa Benitez is someone that that you you had a relationship with as a as a manager and uh, you know as a, I'd imagine someone who who you classed as a friend, he's now left the football club. I'm just keen and I think the listeners are keen to get your thoughts as someone that knew him.
2: Yeah, very disappointing to see Rafa go, but not not totally unexpected. I think obviously he came to the club uh, by good fortune, really, rather than you know a premeditated plan by the the current owner and his CEO. So you know, Rafa needed a job you know he, he approached the club gave them the option of of, of having a world class manager and you know we took it and he he came into the club at a time when Newcastle looked as if you know they were going to go down he he put up a hell of a fight in a short space of time unfortunately wasn't good enough to to stay up but i mean you know who can forget that fantastic result against tottenham on the last game of the season when i don't think i've i don't think i've ever suffered a relegation like that as a newcastle fan where it felt as if we'd won the league uh, on the on the final day of the season against like a top you know a top two team um but yeah I got to know him and and I suppose just telling the listeners a, a little bit about how I got to know him it was bizarre um obviously I'm a, a network I've, I run a company which looks after former Newcastle players but you know I've uh, you know I'm like Marmite and and I do get around town, a lot of people know us, um, and I've had a, a big history with the football club. I've I've been the fanzine editor, I've been the fanzine liaison officer, um, and you know, whether people like it or not, you know, I've I have i am a Newcastle fan and you know, that's first and foremost. But I've I've enjoyed my time over the years, going home and away like a lot of people, and you know, I've got an opinion and my opinion's just as important as yours, is as important as the listeners. Um with regards to networking and, and knowing people in Newcastle comes as, you know, comes from my time on the door in Newcastle. And that was where this whole thing started. I, I had a recommendation given from somebody, I don't know who, uh, to Rafa's team to own his agent and to Richard, his accountant. And they basically contacted me on LinkedIn, which is why I thought it was a bit of a joke. They said, uh, you know, we're coming to Newcastle. We will represent Rafa Benitez. We'd like to meet you for a coffee. I thought it was a wind up, you know. And looking through this guy's profile and thinking, you know, who is this guy? You know, photograph of him with Rafa, but you know, having not been, you know, on social media, for, you know, for for a long time. You 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 tend to look at things, you know, n- you know, carefully. But there wasn't too much on this guy's profile to give away who who exactly he was. Anyway, I went with me. Got instinct. I thought, well, this guy obviously isn't isn't wasting me time. Um, I give him my number. He gave us his. He rang us up. He had a Scouse accent, so that was a good start. <laughs> and uh, I just thought, you know, great, I'll, I'll go meet him. So I went to Blake's in Newcastle on Grey Street, and uh, I was surprised to see Lee Ryder there from The Chronicle. Christ. Lee was there. And, um, you know, we sat down with this guy who introduced himself as, as Rafa's agent. And that's where the story began. Um, fantastic to, to meet him. Uh, we sat and chatted for two hours. We talked about you know, Newcastle United and um, you know what it meant to the fans. We talked about what it meant to the, you know, what, you know what it meant to us about you know Rafa becoming manager, um, what they you know what they should do and who they should get to see in Newcastle, who they should get to know, what sites they should go and see, and I think it was just a, a you know they wanted a little bit of a heads up as to what what our great city is all about, you know, and and what our football club's about, and it was a, it was very much. A, you know, a friendly chat. And it was just a, a bit of soul searching, a bit of, you know, just a, a bit of information grabbing on their behalf and, you know, doing the homework, which, which was great to see. And for me, you know, just, to, just before I left, the, the, he gave us a copy of the Chronicle, which Lee had obviously taken, um, which Lee had obviously either sent down to him or he'd picked up when he'd previously been up here. And he, a copy of the Chronicle to Steve. Um, thanks, Rafa Benitez. Right. Um, and it was the day that he'd become the manager. and, I just walked away from it and I'm not easily impressed. I'm not, I don't get starstruck with people because it's an industry I work in. I've seen many of the, you know, my heroes and got to know them very well. So to to have that was just like, wow, you know, that is, that's, that's like Kevin Keegan. That's like Sir Bobby Robson, you know, and before my time, but what I'm led to believe is, is what Joe Harvey was like. So it was, it was just very impressive. And, I didn't know where the relationship was going to go. I didn't know what was going to happen, but as we progressed um, over the, over the last three years, it's been a very, very good relationship. Um, Doors have been opened, which normally wouldn't be opened for uh, somebody like myself, a fan, and I've managed to help them out, you know, and mine's more, more or less the relationship. I've, I've provided logistics. I've helped with hotels. I've helped with, you know, putting them in touch with the right people up here uh, when certain things have needed to be done. Uh, and, And, you know the recip the reciprocation from their behalf has been you know opening the doors and, and and allowing me to sit in the director's box as part of the team. Um, you know I've been unofficially I suppose working for Rafa and and his team and it's been a been a fantastic journey. Um, the very first game that I was invited to in the director's box, they they said bring who you want, you know, and you know like every every Newcastle fan, you know you you inherit it really I suppose from from your family and the first person I was going to take was my dad you know I, I still sit with my dad in the Gallagher I've still got my season tickets there so I said oh, I'll, I'll bring my dad and uh, that was it the first game I went to uh, took my dad along and I you know I didn't do that for any other reason than that's who I go to the match with I, and I think maybe that impressed them. I think they, they they liked the fact that I, you know, chose me dad as the guest. I could have taken anybody. I could have, you know, took one of my best mates. I could have took, you know, an ex-player, whatever, but I took me dad. And then in subsequent games, I took my younger brother. And, you know, we became really part of the team. They, they love me dad. They love me brother. And we, we basically, for the last three years, have sat with, with, you know, Rafa's team in the director's box, which has been fantastic. Um, went down uh, to see Rafa after the game, which we didn't expect, um, we were introduced to Rafa, and he was, you know, in his manager's office. Where the only the only thing we were told not to do was was to to take the potato wedges before the uh, before Rafa came in because that's what he liked to have after the game: diet coke and potato wedges. But like for us, you know, we were offered a drink. We got to meet Paco and the rest of the uh, backroom staff, and it was just surreal. But it was raised eyebrows, as you can imagine. Um, you know, I get on very well with a lot of the security staff and all the all the all the ordinary staff of you like there, but it's. Obviously, the you know, the, you know, the higher, the higher staff, you know, aren't really big fans of Steve Wraith, Unfortunately, because of my relationship and and the things that I've said against the owner, you know, I've been very vociferous and against the owner, protested against the owner and done various, you know, done various protests and, and I'm quite high profile on social media. So, you know, I'm I'm not well liked in the corridors of power, and uh, I think that's upset them a little bit. Um, but. That didn't really bother me. I was I was invited as guest of Rafa and and, and that was it. But it was great and, and I was I was in awe, I've gotta be honest. Um I'm I'm not easily as I said to you before, I'm not easily um impressed and, and starstruck, but with Rafa when he walked in there was an aura straight away and you know, he, he basically, you know, wanted to talk football. And he came in and we spoke for forty-five minutes. You know, my my level of experience in football is managing a Sunday team for twenty years. But to be sitting with a guy who's won the Champions League and he's asking my opinion on what I thought about the centre half and the right back and the centre forward, you know, I thought my Sunday team would be laughing, you know, they'd be thinking what what they're, what they're asking Steve Wraith for. But but it was, look, it was great, unique opportunity. I thought that would be the only time I was going to meet him. I thought it was just a bit of, you know, a good bit of PR, you know, and I deliberately didn't get me photo with him that day because I didn't. I didn't want to do that. I, I thought I've been invited in. It's not the right thing to do. So we didn't. You know, we just we just met him, shook his hand, and just took that as you know that was fantastic. And thanks very much for the opportunity. But you know, for three years that became like a regular a regular occurrence, which which was fantastic. And you know, we saw the highs and lows. We, we saw the relegation. We saw the the promotion, which was fantastic to be part of that celebration downstairs afterwards, and not with the team, just with Rafa and his team. Um and to, you know to be to be able to to get that photograph which I will treasure you know with with Rafa and the trophy was was unique but I've got to be honest that I had it in the back of my mind then that you know this would probably be the last trophy that we ever see with Rafa because I I still couldn't believe he was here but I still couldn't believe that. Mike Ashley would back Rafa Benitez in the Premier League to give us that opportunity to win a League Cup or an FA Cup, or you know, I know it's pie in the sky, but the Premier League. But you know, I knew this would probably be the one chance that we'll get of getting a, a photograph, with, you know, with him for that. So cutting this short now, it it was just a good opportunity, you know, and um, the relationship is is one which is just really beginning. Um, you know, he's, he's gone. I, I got the indication at the back end of the season that they wouldn't be coming back, and you know, I. I you know I, I didn't want to you know betray the trust and and start putting stuff out like that on on social media I just waited to see what what would happen but you know they they waited for as long as they could they didn't get what they wanted from uh from Ashley you know the the, the promises weren't forthcoming you know and I I think most fans would agree that Rafa probably could have left at the end of last season mm-hmm. you know but you know to, to be in a position where you know he, he you know essentially just wasn't wanted, and you know, the Spanish job came up last year, um, before the World Cup. And you know, I know that you know, Mike Ashley wouldn't have stood in, in Rafa's way to take that. You know, that's that's guaranteed, he, he would have let him leave. And you know, I believe there was a meeting about that. So, you know, that's that tells you now that last year Ashley was ready to get rid of him, and it's it's really because of the contract situation, the watertight contract that that he had. Um, you know, he was never going to walk away from that. And you know, ultimately, Rafa has to look after himself. And I think, I think the only thing that's disappointed that disappointed me about his departure is the, you know, is the fact that, you know, certain journalists have decided to take the angle that well, he didn't waste much time getting another job, you know. But you know, would you, especially when it's a Chinese club offering you twenty five million pounds, you know, after tax for two years? I wouldn't. And I think, you know, I think Rafa's earned enough uh from, from us as fans and, and the North East Media to, to be able to say, Look, you know, fair play to you, Rafa, you know you and you've done us proud. Walks away with his head held high, leaves us in the Premier League. Two pretty good seasons on virtually zero budget. You know, all I could say is thanks thanks to him and thanks to his team for everything they did for, for me, but also thanks to, to his team for everything they've done for the football club.
1: That's a great a great story and um some really interesting stuff in there about, you know, how we got in touch and all that that kind of stuff. It, do you think, just to get your views quickly before we move on, you know, that we've already seen, like you say, certain journalists' questioners, move questioners, ambitions and and you know almost linking that back to Newcastle United and with the with the theory that we never wanted to stay in the club. I I can see it coming with the the club feel like they were put in a difficult position by Rafa. What is it do you think that the club would have had to offer him from still to be here now? Rafa just wanted to continue the, the project and that's what he used to talk
2: about. And I think for the first year and a half, he was constantly talking about the project that he that he saw at Newcastle United. And in those meetings that he originally had with Lee Charnley, I think he probably was encouraged that there was going to be money invested in the academy, that there was money going to be invested in the training facilities, that there was money going to be invested, more importantly, in the team. But the thing that Rafa really wanted to do was develop the academy. You know. And he hasn't got a great history, if you look back, of bringing in young players into the team. But he could see the benefits of it and, and Rafa always used to say, you know, we're all learning. We're always learning. Everybody's learning. He doesn't think he knows it all. Believe you or me. He loves learning. He loves reading about football. He loves taking on new new ideas, new principles, technology. He's embraced technology. And and, and that is that is the biggest thing for Rafa, the project. And and, and he continued to call it that until he started to realise that he just wasn't going to get anywhere. And you could see the relationship becoming sour. And I think the big thing is with uh, with our owner is he doesn't like being told what to do. He hasn't got to where he is today, being a multi billionaire running all these businesses, without being the man who, you know, if I say jump, you know, you say how high, that's him. And he didn't like the fact that Rafa Benitez was prepared to give it back to him. And and the fact that Rafa was very clever and, and, and the way that he did it, he he certainly I wouldn't say played the fans he got into the fans psyche he knew what we wanted to hear he knew what we um, you know knew what we were all about and and he and, and the love was, was a genuine one from him to us and vice versa um, I just think ultimately for Rafa Benitez, he, he was just too big a manager for Mike Ashley and he was never gonna never gonna give him a new contract. I don't think it was ever that and you know they, they would offer him a contract because they wouldn't want to be accused of not offering him a contract, but they wouldn't offer him what he wanted. So you know we'll never know. I certainly don't know from conversations I've had what the final offers were but I just know that you know I think the biggest thing is that the trust had gone Um, you know they were guaranteed money at the start of last season and they didn't get it you know they got it yeah they got it in January but that was too late you know January was too late ultimately again one of the things that Rafa's team said to me when they first came in was we always have a good second half to the season don't panic if we're if we're not doing stuff you know where you know the team isn't playing well, or we're not doing too well at the start of the season. Rafa always has a good end of the second, second part of the season. Statistically, look at it; he does. You know our our run of games. You know at the start of the season last year, would have seen some managers hung hung from the the Gallagher, Um, You know, ten games or whatever it was without without a win. Um, you know, but Rafa got the support, and that's because he, he earned the respect of the fans, and the fans loved him and and the fans still do you know if, if people you know if if it was a takeover tomorrow and Rafa Benitez was touted as the manager you get a lot of people saying they want him and I don't expect everybody to like him and my I don't wear Rafa tinted glasses like a lot of people seem to think you know there was some of the football wasn't great but you know some of the football that were played was, was fantastic the counter and stuff were played away from home um, you know you go away a lot, uh, Alex. You know, not as much. Uh, you know, I don't go away as much these days. But you'll have seen some fantastic counter-attacking performances that older fans, you know, could only dream of. You know, we never used to see away. We used to cheer when there was a corner. Uh, you know, but you've seen some fantastic away wins through, you know, through Rafa. And you know, it, it's he's going to be a big miss. And and I think the the big problem we've got now is forget about takeover talk. It's it's who gets into that manager's dugout. Over the, over the next couple of weeks because uh, they're gonna have a, a you know an awful job yeah
1: couldn't agree more um we'll moving on now to the to the Newcastle United supporters trust and most of you listening I'm sure will have, will have seen um, an uptake in conversation about the trust on social media uh, we when when Steve came out of the board when I put the new board together back in back in the January February we had less than 500 members and I think we we're doing quite well We double that amount to 1100. Uh, what 10 days ago, whenever it was, before the news about Rafa broke. Since then, uh, we have added an extra 6,500 members, and we currently have a, a paying membership of over 7,500. That already makes us one of the biggest paid membership supporters trusts in the UK. We're not quite there yet as the biggest, but we're not far off. We're on the way. Uh, we have ambitious aims and plans as a trust, and we thought we'd use this platform and this podcast to to answer some of the, the common questions that we've been getting from from members and uh, from non-members from interested parties and also some critics of ours so steve uh, and, and myself have, have, have put some uh, some calls for questions out on social media so we'll go through some of them and there you know we'll also t- you know talk about some of the general things that we've, we've both talked about and, and steve especially you know you've been on quite considerable media platforms i know sky sports news gave you the opportunity to talk about the trust talk sport as well mm-hmm. so it's fair to say that you know major news outlets are interested in the supporters trust as well it's not just the likes of us and the other podcast that that i've been doing amongst the support i mean steve first of all question for you what is it what is it about the supporters trust that that interested you in terms of coming on as a board member <laughs> I mean the supporters trust hasn't just started it's been
2: around for you know for many years you know obviously the former guys under the Newcastle supporters uh, club you know I went up to the very first meeting at the Irish Centre when it was first mooted and started and I didn't want to be part of it because I am aware that some people feel the, the things I like the Steve Wraith show and I, I, I supported it and I joined it but I didn't want to be at the forefront of it because I thought I want to give it a chance um, you know otherwise I, I am aware that if I attach myself to things that certain people don't want you know don't want to support anything that I do and I understand it because you know I said before I'm like I but ultimately people you know people should be able to join something if I'm a member it shouldn't put them off if it's doing the right thing um the trust now is you know when you asked me to to get involved i thought now was the right time because you know we're into 12 years of this this reign of Mike Ashley um and i felt i could bring something to the table with the trust i felt that i could help i think you know my my first and foremost uh, thoughts are always about the football club not about me and you know I want the club to do well. I want the club to have a good owner, an ambitious owner, somebody who can put some some money into to to whichever manager we have and I also want to have a team that wins something you know i don 't want to shuffle off this. Mortal Coil without seeing, you know, Newcastle lift a trophy at Wembley, you know, that's that's what I want. I've been to Wembley so many times and and been disappointed like everybody else. I want to I want to see us win a trophy. I don't think our football club's got a divine right to win a trophy. I just think that, you know, we're good enough to win one and we've got a big enough fan base, we're a big enough club and, you know, we should be ambitious. Um we're not we're not just a big enough club because we've got fifty two thousand fans we're a big enough club because you know financially we we make good money we you know we've got you know a, a great history you know you've, the sixty nine fairs cup the the treble FA Cup win in the fifties and you know we've won the league in twenty seven but it ultimately you look at those you look at those stats we should have done so much more with the money that we've had through the club's hands and and with the managers and the players that we've had but we haven't um with the trust I think that you know what? What it brings is it. It brings a legitimacy. It's. It's not a. It's not a knee jerk, Twitter group that's just been set up by a load of fans who you know feel angry about the regime. It's a legitimate organisation, and it's. It's an organisation which can, you know, ultimately with a big enough membership, attempt to buy the club. That's. That's why I joined the trust because it's. I think now, people are starting to come round to the idea that we need to do something, we need a bit of unity, we need to be together, and I don't think I don't think supporters can be together with a Twitter account or a Facebook account, because there's a lot of people aren't even on social media, I think the Trust has got a huge responsibility in the next six months to increase its membership, you know, it would be great to get up to you know, twenty thousand say by December. I think that would be fantastic. I think if we're starting, if we're starting to get into those kind of figures, I think people will start to take us really seriously. I think people are starting to take us seriously now, but I think we have to, you know, we have to make sure that what we what we give those fans who've joined uh, the trust in the last eight or nine days is just give them regular information and give them an opportunity to have their voice heard, which is what it's all about.
1: Couldn't agree more, um, and. Just to echo what you're saying, a lot of people tweet and a lot of people say, what is the point of the Supporters' Trust? And it's something we could we could probably talk about for a long time. The key aim of the Supporters' Trust is to one day own 51%, at least. Yes, we'd love to own more of Newcastle United. Is it realistic in the short term? No, it's not. But but when we kind of started on this journey last January, you know, it's it's easy to think now. But if the support had been raising funds or United, ever since Kevin Keegan was pushed out the door... 12 years ago, whatever it was, 11 years ago, would be in a, in a much better position to do that. And I've got a question here saying, you know, from from David saying, uh, are there any plans currently regarding the increased budget funding from all the new members? The answer to that is yes, and we can't go into details right now. But we are as a trust working towards a platform uh, as a supporters trust to do one of three things. Um, and we can't, again, I can't go into details because you know, when we launch these type of things, they have to be launched properly, they have to be done right, they have to be done legally and financially sound. Um you know, I look down the road at Sunderland Football Club and what and what's happened to them. Um and we do, we I, I don't think we'll ever have an owner as generous as Ella Short in terms of writing off the vast sums of money that he did. But I know for a fact that Sunderland fans when Short put the club up for sale for for basically nothing and allowed People to use parachute payments to to help with them with that purchase. Sunderland fans got together and, and tried some you know wealthy Sunderland fans and tried to do a deal for the club. They were too late. They weren't organised in time. Since then, you've seen the um, I think it's the Red and White Army, the Sunderland Sunland version of the trust, come together and mm. and quite impressively so. Now they have a different relationship with Newcastle, United, well to, not Newcastle United, but to their football club than we do. And we'll come on to that the relationship between the trust and their football club. But I would like this to be in a position if the if the club ever did fall that far to do something. I'm sure all supporters will feel the same. In addition, there are look, there's lots of talk about consortiums and there's lots of talk about people and you know, Steve, you, you, you've been on this podcast talking about your involvement in that and you know, if Peter Kenyon, for example, doesn't have the money to buy Newcastle United and is looking for investors, why can't it be the supporters trust that does that?
2: Yeah, exactly. Down the line. I agree with you 100%. I mean, that's the kind of position we want to be in. And I know that you will get people who say, you know, well, you know, that's, you know, why am I putting my money in now? Well, that's why you're putting your money in now. And we can't just go and spend the money. You know, it's, it's a trust and, you know you just need to google uh, you know your your Oxford dictionary for the definition of a trust and it tells you exactly what it is there you know for from our point of view where the you know we're guardians of that money you know as a committee we can we can vote and and, and put our actions forward but you know ultimately it's the people's money and the people decide what they want to do with it and you know ultimately for us if we can you know we can get a decent membership um, and and everyone you know everyone puts the pound in or the five pound or the ten pound in then from our perspective once we get to that you know that that kind of level you know we can attract possibly bigger you know bigger investors you know there's there's plenty of millionaires who live on Tyneside who are Newcastle fans who you know again one change and i'm sure we would be able to approach them and and you know we're not saying we want to buy the club you know we, you know there's nobody sitting with 350 million pound in there in their sock drawer cuz you and that would even get you the club exactly exactly so it's it's you know it it's it's just like you say it's a realistic target 51% and you know if there is a if there is somebody who eventually wants to take over the club who maybe is a little bit short We've got that money there and we can open we can open a genuine negotiation on behalf of the fans to do that, you know. I mean it's you know, is there a takeover? Do we have a willing do we have a willing seller in Mike Ashley, you know, they're the million dollar questions. If if we knew the answers to those we could all sleep a bit better at night. But at the moment it doesn't look like it. And, you know, over the next two or three weeks that's that's when we'll know for definite, you know, which direction we're
1: going in. It's spot on, and, and, I, and I like your point there about you know even if you know that's one of the questions. Well, what if you do get twenty thousand members and, and then start raising money and get this money and then a takeover happens? Well, two things. Number one, I think it would be wise of any new owner to invite investment from the supporters' trust for a legitimate place on the club board, not a ceremonial position, but a legitimate position. Um, and, and why why should we as supporters plan now and and organise now? Like you say, 20,000 mm. plus members, money in the bank to be able to do that. It's not guaranteed, mm. but it's definitely something we should be considering because if you, if you believe media reports, the club is for sale. There are people genuinely trying to buy the club. And like you say, whether that happens or not is up in the air. It seems unlikely to me from here in terms of the timescale, but I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to be wrong. So we're trying to build something, like you said, Steve, for all supporters. And the crucial thing about the supporters' trust, and, and Steve, you've said this, you know, you've got this message across really well on the media platforms nationally. The Supporters Trust belongs to you, which doesn't belong to me or Steve or anyone uh, on the board or anyone on the board in the future. It is strictly one member, one vote. If someone turned up and says, I want to give you £25,000 for a membership of the Supporters Trust, they would have as much vote as you with a £1 annual membership. The membership decides where it goes. So if you don't like me or you don't like Steve or you don't think the board's doing a good job, get involved and vote us out. Come on on the board and, and, and you can stand for election. Like Steve just said, there he got involved with the initial supporters' trust, not planning to be part of it, just supporting it. When I joined the supporters' trust back in 2011 or 12, um, and I got my membership certificate, I didn't for the, for a second ever believe I would ever come anywhere near the board, stand for election, do any of those things. So anyone is welcome, and, and and your voice matters. It couldn't, it doesn't matter what your opinion is because your opinion belongs to you. There's a chance that someone else shares your opinion, whatever it may be on. And and you, the best way you have of getting that across, both to the football club, which we'll come on to, and to the rest of the supporters by joining the supporters trust. So it, the supporters trust belongs to you. It belongs. It was set up for the supporters. There can only be one supporters trust per football club. Not every football club has one. I think, but well, definitely every football club doesn't have one. I mean, in the Premier League, but you know the, we have one at Newcastle United. It is regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Our accounts are made public. Our accounts are audited. So in terms of safety of money and where the money goes, you can't get much safer than that. The, the, the accounts that we produce ourselves have to be audited by a you know by an accountant to make sure that there's there's no money missing or money being spent on things that shouldn't. And then the FCA also have to prove the accounts and the, the accounts go on the FCA website. So when people say where does the money go, it goes into the trust bank account. And you know, how do we spend it? Well we'll have short-term spending decisions to make on on maintenance stuff like the website. Um, all that kind of stuff. We're very fortunate in our friends at the Supporters Trust that we have a a network of supporters around the world, uh, very talented Newcastle United fans are are all over the place and do all sorts of jobs very well. We have website designers, we have videographers, we have people like that who have got in touch with us and said, I'm willing to help you out free of charge, which is invaluable. So whilst we do have some small costs... You know, in terms of our budget, they're a fraction, and any major spending decisions would be put to the membership, because that's how that's how it runs, and we, we, we are answerable to you. So, Steve, I totally agree with you. I mean, you could follow an account on Twitter, and there'll be people out there doing good things, working hard. We are working very hard as well behind the scenes at the Supporters Trust. We are working hard for you, for the supporters of Newcastle United, and and there's no way that you know in 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 ten years' time I'll be the chair of the trust. In fact, there might be not even you know even six months' time because I could get voted off. That doesn't mean that we're going to stop working hard and we're going to try and whoever takes over from us, whenever that may be, will have the best organisation that we can provide them, and we can only do that with your help. We need you to join us, and the only way you can do that is by joining up at the Supporters Trust websites. One of the questions I've got, Steve, is what are the, the the targets, aims for the trust over the next two years? And obviously, we have to kind of discuss this at, at board level. But I think, you know, you mentioned there about membership and about the, the volume of membership. Well, already in our negotiations with the football club. Seven and a half thousand people are, are harder to ignore than one and a half thousand people. Just, just kind of, can you talk the listeners through a little bit that you know that collective voice that can have and why it might make a difference to the football club? Yeah, I mean it's 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 a big, big thing because you know over
2: the years, let's go back to when I was fans liaison officer in two thousand. Um, I was given that job by the the late Freddie Shepherd basically to keep us quiet. Um, you know, I was I was always at the time I was writing fanzines. I was on you know the, the Sky Boom meant that you know I was in people's living rooms talking about Newcastle United, which you know you know giving me own opinion on radio stations etc. And I became a bit of a vexation to the spirit of the, to the to that regime, and they just thought the easiest way to do this was to to, to set up a. You know, a fan's liaison officer role, and it was it was a little bit of a change in the bureaucracy around um, the FA Premier League, etc. Was where the whole idea of supporters trusts came in, etc. Rogan Taylor uh, from Liverpool was was brought on board and paid to to basically go through the whole um, voting scheme, and and that 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 in itself was um, was unique it was the first time it had ever been done at a football club they went through a democratic vote the fans liaison committee was voted on Uh, people got a chance to put themselves forward supporters voted for them to be on the committee but what eventually was the downfall of it was that um, they put me in a paid role at the football club which meant that the the fans liaison committee didn't meet with freddie shepherd and douglas hall they basically met with me the fans' liaison officer if they had any issues, and that didn't go down well. And it was, it, was, it was defeated before it had even started. But at that time, that was their idea for fans' communication. Fast forward since then, uh, once, once that was disbanded, there was nothing. There was no way of you kind of you had customer services if you had an issue you ran you rang Stephen Tickle at the ticket office if you had an issue with tickets it was it was back to square one no, no support no communication they went through a variation of press officers from Hazel Greener to Graham Courtney to Gary Oliver um, all of these people well respected you know in the northeast and the various jobs that they've done in the past in the media um, but the, you know none of them really stayed very long. Um And then the second fans Lee as an officer Was brought in Lee Marshall Who's still currently there But he's now head of media And Lee As as you know um You've met him On numerous occasions He's a nice guy He's not a Newcastle fan But he's he's a nice kid um But he, he's given He's been given An impossible job Because You know You can't keep All of the fans Happy all of the time And whenever there's an issue you know, because Lee's on social media, he gets hammered. He gets it. Gets a tweet from somebody, and people will weighed in. And that's that's the nature of the beast on social media. You've got to you've got to have skin like a rhinoceros to be on there, because you know you could take you could take a lot of the things that people throw at you for, you know, you know, really personally. But Lee's done a, a decent job, you know, in a regime which doesn't really want to communicate. We we'll then have the fans forum, um, which is even more farcical to me than the fans liaison committee was because at least the fans liaison committee was voted for by the fans and the people who were in place on the fans liaison committee were people who actually were given the opportunity to represent supporters they got a chance to put themselves forward they were all genuine Newcastle fans they all came from different types of backgrounds they all represented different sides of the ground and it was it was a good idea the fans forum was supposed to be like that but ultimately, it just became a laughable talking shop, uh, like you know, which, you know, people were asking questions. I'm led to believe from the minutes, which you know were never very accurate, um, you know, questions about you know what we're going to spend this transfer window and what we're going to do that and what about you know what about the you know the paint and you know the paint that hasn't been done in this particular area, you know, it, it became a bit of a laughing stock and, and ultimately a lot of the groups who were there. Um, weren't representing groups of fans. They were actually just representing themselves and getting jollies out of it, you know. These, these people were being schmoozed in Mike Ashley's own you know, lounge at the director's box, you know. And I, could, I saw some of these people sitting there, you know, over the last three years thinking, you know, that's ridiculous. These people are in there. They're you know, having some of Mike's um, M&Ms, which he likes, in his, in his little box and, you know, having a few shandies and, and, and they're just getting schmoozed. Uh, and, and for me, that, that, that really was, was awful to see because i thought you know these people are then going on twitter saying this that and the other and different social media accounts putting stuff out there and i just thought you know that they, they, they sold themselves out in in, in essence you know they, they weren't they weren't representing me and they certainly weren't representing you they weren't representing the support and i just think they've let themselves down so i think with with that i think um you know, that was on a hiding to nothing. I'm not sure what's going on with the fans forum now. But um, I think that leads us nicely to what we're doing. You know, we're independent of the club. And like you've already pointed out, you know, we, we are voted in um, and we can be quite quickly voted out by the membership. Um, but we, you know, we have an opportunity um, because, you know, the club have to meet us to to sit down around a table with, you know, Lee Charlie at the very least, at the club, I doubt we'll ever get a sit down with Mike Ashley, but Lee Charlie has to has to communicate with us and has to sit down with us uh, throughout the year to discuss things which we provide to him on an agenda. So I think you know there's a big opportunity there, at least for your pound, if you are a member of the Supporters Trust and you send us an email and you say this is what I'd like you to take to the tr- uh, t- t- from the trust to the club on my behalf. we can do that we've got a direct line to the club and they will have to listen to us and give us a response and so far you know uh, you know obviously you know you've you've been in touch with the club and i know you've had a response back you know over the last week so you know that's that's important you know they have to respond to us so i think that's that for me is a key essence of of the supporters trust but Moving moving forward on other things, the food bank's been a huge success. You know, people who are now no longer on the trust board are still doing it. Colin Whittle's done so much for the trust um, over the years, but he's he's been a big a, a big player in Newcastle fans' relationships with the club, and he's he, you know he's he's burnt more than one Newcastle top in protests over the years. But he's a great lad to have on board. But he's he's done so much great work with with, the, with you know with the food bank and deserves credit. And then of course you know. The, the the Bournemouth situation where some of our fans unfortunately due to the momentum of the crowd were thrown onto the onto the onto the pitch side. Um, you know they were arrested. You know fans were were basically wrongly arrested, in my view, for 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 that, for for the celebrations. They should never have been arrested. Some overzealous stewarding and policing saw them arrested, and they came to us for help, and we've we've represented them. We have got you know we have paid the fees, paid the fines for the solicitors, etc. And uh, again, that's something which we're not going to do that for everybody. You know somebody goes and starts a fight in the middle of the street. We can't you know and the member of the trust and they're in the wrong. We're certainly not going to do that, but. Innocent supporters, you know, actually, you know, who, who deserve to be represented. That's what we can do. And we can open the doors to other things. You know, the that's that's the big thing for us, you know.
1: You make a lot of good points there. And I think, you know, like you say, the Bournemouth situation, fans coming together, regardless on the subject, improves the, the lot of other fans. So we we will be working hard with Newcastle United, hopefully, hopefully. Um, for the introduction of safe standing. But if you disagree with safe standing, and as a member, we will take a vote on it, and you can, you can, you know, if you can convince other people and other members and put a case forward, you can vote against that. I mean, I'm sure me and you, Stephen, and other board members are very much in favour of safe standing, having mm-hmm. met the people behind the project, some of the board have. We'll fly through some questions because um, we're running out of time here i uh, been asked by a member, will you petition other clubs, official fan groups, to ask their uh, vote at the next PAL AGM, to ensure owners and directors cannot be major shareholders in their respective clubs' official sponsors? Uh, I think you need 16 clubs to change the rules. Uh, I think that's a great point. We work very closely with other supporters, Trusts. Um, in terms of the PLAGM, yes, we can ask those Trusts to lobby their clubs. Whether that will work or not, I have no idea, but I think that's a great idea and something we are we are interested in. Uh, you can email um, board at nufctrust.co.uk to put any ideas forward to us, and you can also find the personal email addresses on most board member profiles. Um, question from Adam, is there a regular schedule the Trust and Club has for its meetings? Uh, well, with the, the club, have, yeah, quarterly is the answer. Um, you know, we, we we are very much reliant on the the club and the key people who want to talk to the club, having time and having the availability. Just be sure that as a member, we will let you know in advance of these meetings so that we can canvass what you would like to ask. That's an important one for us. Uh, Could you please give some details on the structure of the Trust, how issues going uh, going forwards to be voted on? Uh, Okay, the Trust structure, we are developing the website at the minute. Next week, the first incarnation of the new website, where where you will have a login to be able to look at your membership, renew your membership, all that kind of stuff will be ready. Moving forward from there, we will be emailing out people um, with surveys for members only and through the, the, the Trust website to be able to vote on issues. Uh, you can get in touch as a member with us at any time. If you if you have something you want to raise, like the excellent um, mention there from before about Premier League clubs being shareholders of major sponsors, get in touch, let us know it's your trust. We will put things to the fans that you want us to if we can get it through the board. And votes like that. Um, quickly uh, from there, I've been asked why, I uh, understood the club's, trust has the club's time Do they acknowledge just by communication that Lee Charlie is also part of the problem and should be called out on this. And, and then there's one question, uh, Will NUFC trust Garner's opinion from the membership about Boycott versus Arsenal and publish the results? Okay, so two things there. You know, in our relationship with the club, obviously we, we, we do not influence what happens with the club at the highest level. I'm sure everyone knew that already. Really quickly, we work with the club on a number of areas. So, for example, uh, community, um, access to the stadium, ticketing things. If you want to have a genuine say on this, the club, to be fair to them, Uh, have showed an interest in listening to us and our membership on these issues. Are they the most important things right now in Class United? No, they're not. But they are things that football fans normally find important. And also, you know, away loyalty point schemes, things like that matter. I'm not saying everything that we advise the club on, the club will take on board. However, the club will work hard to, you know, at least take on our Our opinion, now if there are 20,000 members giving an opinion on something, over 7,000, it makes that opinion more relevant. We fed back to Lee Charnley about the issues in Newcastle United. We've been in touch over the summer, saying that the communication on the takeover and the manner situation hasn't been good enough. They've taken that on board. That's all I can say on that one. Uh, And finally, because we'll have to finish. um, As a collective group for NUFC, why would the current regime take notice about what you... Um, we've, I've been through that sorry I had to address the, the boycott one so really quickly I'm keen to get your thoughts on this Stephen in the next yeah, five yeah. minutes I think that the trust is 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 about more than individual boycotts of matches it's about more than fans not going to game even if you're a member of the supporters trust the supporters trust will never lobby you or expect you to do anything else than you want to do being part of a, a membership thing like this means there will be a, a, ri- a wide range of opinions amongst all members Will we put things like that to the membership? If the membership thinks it's important and wants to have a vote on it, yes, we will. Does that mean people who vote one way or another need to change their mind or listen to what the membership thinks? Absolutely not. The trust doesn't exist as a protest group. We know some people would like the trust to exist as a protest group, but we've got 7,500 people at the minute who are happy with the message, are happy to be part of this, and we aren't going to change that because, because there are some social media people demanding that we change that. To me, it's, it's about much more than that. We've talked about fan ownership, and we've talked about that. We have big plans regarding that. Focusing our energy into boycotts and stuff like that isn't what the supporters' trust is about. Again, disagree with us. You can join voters out, but that is the position of the supporters' trust. It always has been. And as far as I can see, the long-term safety and future of the football club is what we're concerned about rather than boycotting or action individual games. The good news is, if you are looking for people like that, there are lots of groups out there already. You don't need the supporters' trust to do these things. There are the Magpie group, there is, Empty for Ashley. Back them, get in touch with them. My personal advice to you, if you want to make people boycott, would be to speak to people individually and 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 convince someone there are so many Newcastle fans on social media if you listen to the social media noise last year when I walked in late against West Ham there would have been 50,000 empty seats instead of walked in late to a full stadium because on social media that was going to be a success a lot of the match gun support aren't on Twitter so venting on Twitter or having a go at me and Steve about boycotts not going to achieve anything. Your thoughts, Steve on that? No, hundred
2: percent. Um, you know, listen, I take my hat off to anybody who bothers to, to, to go out and attempt to do something like that because they're entitled to do it. And, you know, I could never criticise anybody for it. I've done it, I've done I've done protests myself. Um and yeah, you feel you feel as if you're doing something. It's great if it if it's a good turnout and there's a, a few thousand people there, but we even saw last year when, you know, the you know, the, the, the the boycotts outside the the shops. People were you know shouting at shops. You know it was it was great when it was a sunny day, but you know when it comes to doing that and leafleting on a on a rainy day in October, uh, the turnout was abysmal, and, and and that can backfire on you. You know so, protest group we are not. Um, there are plenty out there as you've said I'll reiterate that and you know people can have a go at us on social media and say what they want you know this is our this is our job really to, to make sure that the supporters trust gets to where we want it to get to because we owe that to the supporters you know we've started the journey um, we're right at the start of the journey at the moment there's a long way to go and I, I just want to take this opportunity to thank everybody who's joined um, you know because everyone who's put the money in has had a little bit of faith in in what we've done so far and um, you know we aim not not to let you down
1: well said i think that does it for today if you are interested drop drop me or steve a tweet um drop any of the board members an email my my email address is my twitter profile um, and we'll get back to you those who are convinced head to UK. you can pay by paypal or you can pay by traditional credit or debit card methods steve thanks for your time yeah we'll thank you. thanks Great for stuff. listening.